Please turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. And while you're turning there, I'd like to uh, say a few things. Number one, I would like to thank... Are you telling me to thank Maggie for this? That's exactly what I was going to do. Uh, great minds think alike. I want to thank Maggie. Is Maggie here? She, hi, Maggie. Thank you. This is beautiful. Thank you very much. And kids, we want to encourage you to be a part of this and help us out. This is wonderful. Uh, secondly... Um, I would really want to urge you, if you haven't gotten a sense of the importance of our uh, dinner on Saturday night, I really want to urge you to come to that. It's going to really be the beginning of um, an interaction, uh, especially for us as a church, um, trying to figure out uh, how God might be leading us in the future, especially in terms of my involvement here. As, uh, as, as, as I'm aging and uh, wrestling with some of those things, uh, we're going to begin that conversation. There's going to be an opportunity for you to ask questions, beginning to let, kind of let you know where we're, where we're thinking. And so part of this congregational meeting this uh, Saturday night is for that. And so we want to really encourage you to come. I know some of you are not members yet or you're thinking about becoming members. Uh, or you're just actively interested, we just want to encourage you to come as well because I know that you have a vested interest in the future of this church as well. So we're going to, we don't have any definitive answers. We actually have more questions than answers, but um, we're going to um, uh, talk about some of that. And so I want to encourage you to think about coming to that congregational meeting. Let's read, to, as, follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray together. Father, we ask and we pray that you would please be with us as we seek once again to, to know your mind, to understand what you have revealed to us, what you're communicating to us. Father, we thank you so much that on this day, on this day, we can come in, in 2023, we can come into a church building and we can hear and study your word and that you will open your mind to us. You will show us what you would have us to, to be and to do and to know. You will communicate to us. And so, Father, please come. Please come in power. Please come open our eyes. And Father, we just, we just kind of give our hearts to you right now. And we pray, just help us, we pray, not only to hear this word, but, but Father, help it to go deep in our hearts. Change us, we pray. Sanctify us. Make us who you've saved us to be. Lead us and guide us in all of this, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were like me, you found English grammar painful. I found English grammar painful. In fact, I checked out of English grammar 
halfway through my ninth year. Kids, do not use me as a role model in here, and I'm going to tell you why. That was a huge mistake, but I checked out. I checked out of English grammar. And the reason I checked out of English grammar is that they were throwing adverbs and prepositions and, and pronouns and verbs and all of that at me, and I was getting confused. And so finally, I, I being an arrogant, uh, uh, being a very arrogant little ninth grader, I raised my hand and I said, uh, Mrs. Lucy, why is this even important? Why do we even need to learn this? And she gave a really lame answer, okay? And because her answer was so lame, she couldn't give me any reasons, I checked out. I checked out, and so I didn't know grammar. Now, if Miss Lucy would have said to me, it's interesting that you said that, little toddy, you arrogant little kid. I wish you'd shut up and sit down, but she didn't. If she would have said something like this, do you realize that you are going to spend the best 40 years of your life studying the grammar of the Bible and opening that up to people? You better. If anybody in this room should be listening, you should be listening. Now, she didn't say that. If she would have said that, I was so arrogant, I probably wouldn't have listened anyway. But the bottom line is, is that you can imagine my shock when I started studying the Bible, I started learning the, the original languages, I started realizing that, wow, like imperatives and indicatives and, and, and participles and all that is really important in clauses and phrases. Uh, you can imagine that. So for instance, let's do some English. Indicatives. What's an indicative? Now, some of you kids are homeschoolers here, and you're saying, wait a minute, I think I learned that about three weeks ago, but I forgot it. An indicative is just a statement that states a fact. This is a pulpit. This is a pulpit. Uh, we are in this building here. This, this, that's, that's a piano. That's an indicative. It just states a fact. And that's different than what's an imperative. An imperative is a command. Do this. Don't do that. Watch out. Run. Those are all imperatives. And what is going to, and, and a lot of times people think that Christianity is all imperatives. It's all do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, warning about this, don't do that, go, don't go there, don't go there. And it's just all these do's and don'ts. And that's actually wrong. It's, and, and one of the ways we can tell you that that's an imbalanced view of Christianity is the book of Ephesians itself. Do you know that in the book of Ephesians, we have been studying almost a year now, and we've gone through chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in all of those chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul gave one imperative, just one imperative, and it was a very mild imperative. It was the imperative, remember. Remember what it was like when you were a Gentile. That's the only imperative. The, the entire first three chapters are all indicatives. This is what God has done. This is how God did uh, blessed you. This is what God has provided for you. This is God's grace. This is what God has done. They're all indicatives, all indicatives, all indicatives. One imperative from chapter 1 to chapter 3 and verse 21. Now we're going to start chapter 4. We're actually halfway through the book because there's six chapters. So now we have 4, 5, and 6. And in 4, 5, and 6, there are 39 imperatives. There's one in the first half of the book. There's 39. And you know why that is? That's because, in, and, and this is something that you'll, you'll sometimes read if you read theology, the imperatives are based on the indicatives. In other words, we do, we act 
based on what God has done for us. And that's how the scriptures and that's how the Bible is laid out. And so what Paul is going to do now is he's going to build on this huge body of, of facts and indicatives and, and blessings that God has done. And now he's going to apply it. So if you look at chapter 4 and verse 1, and verse 1 is the only verse we're going to be looking at today. It's the only, we're not going to get beyond this one uh, because it's the beginning of the imperatives. Paul says this. You'll notice in your Bible he says, I therefore, I therefore. Or he could have said, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. But the therefore is, therefore, in light of what I have said, in light of three chapters of what God has done, therefore, I am going to uh, give you some imperatives. I'm going to tell you what to do. And so he says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the calling. We're going to look at what Paul means by walk, and we're going to look at what Paul means by worthy. So calling, walk, and worthy. Those are the three. Uh, that's where we're going. Those are the three, three things that we're going to look at here. So notice here, Paul uses the phrase calling in verse 1. He says that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He actually used the word twice in verse 1, calling in which you were called. Now, it, I don't know if this is changing a lot. We don't live in kind of a quasi-Christian environment like we used to live uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. We don't. But, but back then, and, and sometimes even now, more somewhat, people would use the idea that if somebody was going into the ministry, they got the calling. They got the calling. Oh, uh, Billy Bob was called into the ministry. He got the calling. He got the calling. Uh, in, ca in Catholicism, this is still very much uh, alive. Uh, you're called into the priesthood, and, and, and that's a special calling that brings you, brings you into this very holy place in their, in their estimation. But in the Bible, the Bible doesn't speak like that at all. The Bible doesn't speak like that at all. The Bible actually speaks of all Christians being called, all Christians having a calling. And, and, and these things kind of go together. You're called to a calling. You're called, you're one of the called ones, and therefore you actually have a calling, a special calling on your life, a special purpose on your life. And that's what Paul is, 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 is saying. Like, look at the verse here. Look at what he says. He says, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling, there's that calling, with which you were called. So here, called, calling, called, calling. Now, the first call, as it were, that called you and me is the effectual call. Uh, Chris taught on this last week in Sunday school. It's that call of God out of darkness and into light. It's that call of God where God called you out of the, your deadness to sin, you're dead in sin and trespasses, and God called you to life in Jesus Christ. God said, come and live, come and, and come to me, come. God called you in that sense. It's when you woke up and, and, and you trusted in Jesus and you saw Jesus and, and your need for the gospel became real and God was giving you a new heart and God, and God was opening your eyes. That's the call. That's the call. It's, it's, it's very similar in many ways to Lazarus who's laying dead in a tomb and Jesus says, Roll away the stone, and the, and the lady, his sisters say, no, 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 Lord, he's going to stink. You can't do that. He's already been rotting. 
And the Lord says, no, roll away the tomb. They roll away the stone, and then Jesus calls Lazarus' name. Lazarus, come forth. And dead Lazarus, dead and probably decaying a little bit, Lazarus hears Jesus' voice, gets up, and he's actually, kids, picture this in your mind. He's actually wrapped up like a mummy. He gets up, and he walks out. He's alive. He was dead, and he's alive. That's the call. That's the call. And, that's, and, and the Bible says that happened to every single one of us when we became a Christian. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God called you into union with Christ. God called you into fellowship with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, later on in the chapter, Paul says this. For you see your calling. I, somehow I threw the King James in here. I don't know why I did that, but I did. Uh, for ye see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty men, not many noble are called. Now notice here, Paul is saying, your calling, when you were called, what were you? And then at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says this, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. With all who in every place call upon the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Notice here, called, our calling is to be saints. That's our calling. That's who we've been called to be. Now, notice that Paul has already mentioned this in the book of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 18. In that great prayer, at uh, the first prayer that we looked at at the end of chapter 1, Paul prayed this, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. When God called us, he called us to great a great hope. And then, of course, in chapter 4 that we looked at, Paul uses that he returns to this idea of calling, both in our verse, chapter 4, verse 1, that you would walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. But then he mentions it again a few verses later in verse 4, that he said, just as you were called in one hope, of your calling. So see, both times Paul talks about called and calling. Called and calling. In other words, our life is a calling as a Christian. To be a Christian is a calling from God. You've been, you've been called to a certain type of life. In a sense, our purpose, our mission, our identity is wrapped up in what God has called us to be. And you know what's interesting? What's interesting is how contemporary this is right now. Right now, this is hugely contemporary because identity, identity is a huge contemporary issue right now. We have to have an identity. We have to figure out our identity. Now, the reason why it's such a huge issue to us nowadays, it wasn't as strong uh, in, in, in previous cultures. In previous cultures, your identity was set. You, 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 you were told who you are. You're part of this tribe. This is what you, if your father was a farmer, you were a farmer. If your father was a tanner, you were a tanner. And so you, you, a lot of those answer, questions were answered. But when secularism came along, secularism said, listen, you just showed up. You just showed up in this world, and you're a product of chance, and there's no meaning, and it was just absolute chance that you evolved, and you just showed up, so now it's your job to figure out who you are. And then that puts this huge burden of identity upon us. We have to figure out our identity, who we are. And it's a huge task. It's a huge task for us. 
And so what we have today is this sort of identity thing gone wild. And so we have, uh, you know, everybody's uh, affirming their identity. You have to affirm my identity. I got to affirm your identity. And we have identity politics and such. And so then people have these identities. Uh, some of them are based on sexual orientation. Somebody will say, I'm gay. Somebody will say, I'm trans. Somebody will say, I'm bi. Somebody will say, I'm straight. And that's their identity. And, they, and, 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 and many times they will live out, they will, they, will, they will develop an entire lifestyle based on that identity. And so you have gay pride. You have transgenders living out that, that, that identity and such. And it, it basically forms the whole of who they are. We start then, juggle, we have to juggle pronouns. We have to do all this time to keep up. Others are doing it on race. My identity is I'm black. My identity is I'm Hispanic. My identity is I'm Asian. My identity is I'm white. And then what we do is we form our entire identity about that. And so we have black pride and we have heritage days and we have things like this in order to affirm our, our identity. Some of them are based on class. I am rich. I'm elite. I'm a professional. I'm a Harvard graduate. I, 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 I have, I, I'm a doctor. I have a title. And that forms their identity. For other people, and then you've got, you've got all kinds. You've got influencers, that's our identity. Celebrities, that's our identity. Star athletes, that's our identity. Great musicians, that's our identity. Popular people, that's our identity. Pretty women, that's their identity. Successful people, that's our identity. And they live it out. They live it out. They live it out. Now, in one sense, in one sense, Paul is doing that in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul is giving the Christians an identity. Now, I, I, I emphasize one sense. In one sense, that is what Paul is doing. And the reason I'm emphasizing in one sense is because of this. In another sense, it is very unfair to compare what Paul is doing with what we are doing in our culture today. Because I'm about to paint the picture for you of what Paul has given to us as the identity of the Christian. And I'm going to say right out front that this makes the world's identities, I'm gay, I'm black, I'm this, I'm that, the world's identities look paltry compared to this. They look like nothing compared to this. In one, that's why I say in one sense, Paul is forming an identity, but in another sense, these popular identities today that people find their identity from is so paltry compared to what Paul is about to say. To me, it's like comparing an archangel, and we're actually above the archangels, by the way, an archangel with a slug. Dear Christian, listen. Please listen. And what I want you to do is, I, 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 I could do this many ways. I could say, we, I could say, us, I could say, you, plural. But what I want to do today is I want to do you, singular. I want you, singular, you as a Christian, I want you to sit here and you listen to this stuff. And I want you to just apply it to yourself. Let it, let it just sink into you. Let it just fill you. This is who God says I am. This is my identity according to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So let me just, let me just you don't have to turn to them. You, you, we've been studying for a year. You, you know what they are. But let me, talk, let, me, let me kind of just direct it to you as your identity. And I'll speak to each of you individually as you. You, here's your identity, dear Christian. 
You have been blessed by God with every spiritual blessing that heaven has in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's your identity. You have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be a holy saint and to live out this calling. You were chosen. You have been predestined before the world began to be one of God's children. You were predestined to adoption. God chose you specifically to be his child before the world began. Think about that. That's your identity. Think about that. God said, the um, world hasn't even begun. No world, no nothing. Nothing has been created. God says, um, Bill Howard is going to be born, and I adopt him. He's going to be my child forever, and I'm going to pour out immense blessing on him. Uh, Hannah Gregory is going to be born, and I'm going to adopt her as my daughter, and she is going to be given all the royal blessings of being a daughter of God. Think about that. that. That's your identity. Not you're rich, not you're popular, not you're famous, not you're black, not you're white, not you're gay, not you're straight. You have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be adopted into his family. What a privilege. You have been graced in the beloved, Paul says. You've been given grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. God treated you not as you deserve. God treated you the opposite of what you deserve. God, for all your badness, God gave you good. For all your sins, God gave you righteousness. For all of your shortcomings, God gave you just blessing and blessing and treated you with favor and poured out his love upon you. You have been graced in the beloved. And one of the ways that you've been graced in the beloved is that God sent his beloved son to die on the cross for you. Oh, no, no, no. I choose that they don't perish for their sins. Sins. They don't be punished for their sins. They don't bleed for their sins. I choose, I will, that my son will take all of the punishment of their sin upon them. I will redeem them by his blood. His blood will be shed. They will be forgiven. His blood will be poured out. Their sins will be forgotten. Their sins will be justified. They will be. That's your identity. That's your identity. Another thing, Christian, you are part of a plan, a huge, dramatic, wonderful plan that God has been working out before the foundation of the world for his glory and the glory of his grace. You have been chosen and you were made a part of that plan. That's your identity. You have been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a down payment and a guarantee, and the Holy Spirit lives with you. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. He's resonant in you. He's working in you. He gave life in you. The Spirit of Christ actually dwells in you. That's your identity. That's your identity. You have been raised from spiritual death. You were made alive. In Christ. That's your identity. You have been raised up with Christ and you're actually seated at the heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. You are there in Christ. You are hidden in Christ, Paul says. That's your identity. You have been, you are destined. Check out this one. You are destined to be an example of God's grace and kindness. Forever and ever and ever, for ages and ages to come, God is going to hold you up as an example of his grace, of his mercy, of his goodness. God is going to use you as an example of how good he is 
And what it means that he would pour out infinite goodness upon an individual. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's who you are in Christ. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Paul says you were once not citizens. Now you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have a kingdom of God passport. You have a kingdom of God passport. The United States passport is still a very, very desired passport. Hold on to yours because if, you, if somebody steals it from you, they're going to get a lot of money by, by, by sending, selling that on a black market. The United States passport gives you all of the rights and privileges of a U.S. citizen. And therefore, for instance, when you get to the U.S. border, you don't have to sneak in. You don't have to do that. In fact, they can't keep you out. You have the right to get into this country because you have the passport. Dear ones, you are citizens of heaven. You have passports for heaven. An angel, all the archangels, all the angels of the world can't keep you out of heaven. You have the right to heaven. God has given you that. That's your identity. You're a member of God's family. You're a member of God's household. You are part of a living temple that God is building. You yourself personally are a temple of the Holy Spirit, but then you're also a part of a large temple, which is the people of God. You are this temple. You are part of the body of Christ. You are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus finds his fullness, although he has no need for anything to fill him up because he fills all. Jesus finds his fullness in you. Jesus finds his happiness in you. Jesus, for Jesus, if I can speak reverently here, for Jesus, heaven will not be completely heaven until you're there with him because you are part of his body. He has connected you. He is so connected to you through union. That's your identity. You are part of the bride of Christ. Christ's happiness, his joy, his delight is his bride. And you are part of that bride of Christ. You are the center of all of the saving purposes of God. And you are the focus of the glory of God. Look at the end of chapter 3 and verse 21. To him be glory in the church. That's us. By Jesus, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Dear ones, you are the beloved royal children of God. You are, and I wish Marvel Comics wouldn't have degraded this. <laughs> you are the masters of the universe. You're the rulers of the universe. Paul says, do you not know that you will judge the world? Do you not know that you will judge angels? You are the most important people walking on, in the entire universe you are the saints. You are God's beloved people. And dear one, that makes gay, straight, rich, black, white, Hispanic, paltry in comparison. And we're to live a life of grateful joy and rejoicing and humble thanksgiving that we have been given such an identity. Really humble. In fact, if you look at verse 2, the first thing Paul's going to begin with is humility and with all lowliness. Humbled by the grace of God. That's calling. So let's look at Paul's next word. I beseech you to walk. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. I beseech you to walk. Walk. What's he mean by this? Walk. Well, it means to live out who you are. It's a very important theme for Paul. Look at chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. Chapter 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And look at this. And walk in love as Christ has also loved us. Look at verse 8 of the same chapter. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. To walk in the Bible means to live out your life, to organize your lifestyle, to make your decisions according to your life calling. God has called you to be saints, live like saints. God has called you to be his children, live like his children. God has called you to live it out. It's in it, in it, and it should involve your entire life. It should involve everything that you do in your life. Now, believe me, friends, people who have other identities do this. They do this. My daughter Hannah works with top-notch Olympic athletes, and I want to tell you about those people. Those athletes, they order their entire life around their goal of winning in their athletic competition. From how they sleep, to how they eat, to how they spend their time, to where they live, to what they do, they organize, it's all directed toward this goal of getting that Olympic gold medal. And that's what, that's what others do as well. Some professionals give everything in their life, every second of their life to, to, to their profession and to what they do, or to their art and what they perform. And what Paul is saying here is, is that we are to organize our lives, order our lives, do our life, work our life out, walk according to the calling by which we were called. That means how you live, how you spend your time, how you think, what you do, how you dress, how you use your possessions, how you talk to people, how you relate. And your whole life becomes dedicated to this calling. And that's what he means by walk. Walk according to this calling. Now let's go back to chapter 4 and verse 1 for our final word, which is worthy. Notice what he says now. I therefore, the prisoner of Paul, of the Lord. By the way, why did he throw that in, the prisoner of the Lord? I think it's because he wants to show you, number one, I'm walking worthy. I'm all in. I'm completely dedicated. I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to give everything to this. And notice this. I'm a prisoner. Here's my identity. Not that I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm here for Jesus' sake. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. We were called. We were called with a calling. We now have this calling. And we are to walk out this, live out this calling, walk, and we're to do it in a way that is worthy, worthy. <clears throat> in the U.S. military, they have what's called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's kind of like the law book, the rule book for the military, okay? You can be court-martialed and that if you, you can even be jailed if you, if you don't do these things. And one of the aspects in the, in the, in the Uniform Code of Military uh, Justice, one of, the, one of the, the, the things that's required of them is this. Uh, or one of the things that you can actually do wrong is called conduct unbecoming of an officer. Conduct unbecoming of an officer. And since this is Veterans Day and we, we, we recognize veterans and we thank them for what they do, this, this weekend has been a wonderful weekend for veterans uh, recognizing that. Notice what it says here. This, this, this kind of fits into that because here's, here's, here's how it's actually defined. It's conduct which falls below the level of conduct expected of officers. Conduct which falls below the level of conduct that is expected of officers. Now, now, dear friends, it's not necessarily a crime. 
It could be a crime. You know, if you steal something or if you, 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 you do something, that, that would definitely be a, a conduct unbecoming. But it can be any conduct that is unbecoming or falls below what is expected of officers. And so what they want for officers is they want them to have conduct worthy of being an officer. They want them to live their lives, both in uniform, out of uniform, and how in all the ways that they, that they rule their lives, they want them to do that in a way that is worthy of an officer. Live out who you are. Live out a life worthy of the great calling which you are called. I thought about the royal family in England. I thought about the royal family in England when I was thinking about this. And I thought about poor Queen Elizabeth. Poor Queen Elizabeth. She probably was never called poor Queen Elizabeth but because um, she was one of the richest women in the world. But poor Queen Elizabeth. Now, number one, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, the recent one who just died, Queen Elizabeth did, from all accounts, live a life worthy of the calling. Queen Elizabeth was a woman of integrity. Queen Elizabeth was a woman of godliness. Queen Elizabeth was a good woman. But I say poor Queen Elizabeth because poor Queen Elizabeth spent most of her time trying to straighten up her lousy family from living lives that were below the conduct that was worthy of the royals. It started with her husband, who had multiple affairs, and then it went to her son, and then her other son, who got caught up in that crazy Epstein thing, and then another, and, and, and then her daughters, and, and even her grandchildren now. Poor Queen Elizabeth, her, so much of her time was pulling in her family and saying, you are living below what you have been called. You are part of the royal family. And this is what Paul is saying here. He is saying, you have been called. I have spent three chapters explaining the glory of how we have been called. Now let's live a life worthy of this calling, this incredible Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 calling. Let's live a life worthy of that calling. That's what he's calling us to do. And he says this often in, 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 in the scriptures. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, Paul says this, Therefore we also pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and work of faith with power. Now, let's look at this next verse. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that verse. Here's what Paul meant by walking worthy of the calling. That the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. That Jesus will be glorified in my life. In how I treat my wife, Jesus will be glorified. In how I raise my children, Jesus will be glorified. In how I treat my neighbor, Jesus will be glorified. In the words that come out of my mouth, which we're about to see in a second here, Jesus will be glorified. We're to live in a way that this calling, this calling that I have, would show forth the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he said in 2 Timothy 1.9, when he said, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. A holy calling. We're to be holy people. We're to be saints. We're to live this out. Now, Paul will give us, in, in, in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at this, but let's just look at it just briefly in closing here. Paul will give us some specifics. Look at chapter 5 and verse 1. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk, there's our word, in love, 
as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice for God and a sweet and roaming smell. So here Paul says, walk as children of God, be imitators of your father and walk in love as Christ sacrificed and gave himself and offered himself for us. But then look at verse three. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, notice the next phrase, as is fitting for saints. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, those are, that is conduct unbecoming a saint, unbecoming a person who has been called as you have been called. But then look at verse 4. Those are like big sins, verse 3. Look at verse 4. We sometimes call these little sins. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting. What does that mean? That's, that's conduct unbecoming, but rather giving of thanks. Even the words that come out of our mouth, the, crude, the cr crass jokes, the foolish things that we say, that's unbecoming of people who have been called according to the indicatives of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Look at, look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are children of light. Walk in a way that is becoming children of light. And then he describes that in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. See, you once were darkness. You're not anymore. Live actions becoming of a saint, which is what you are. And he's going to talk about this in chapter 4. And he's going to talk about character traits that should be being developed within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to stop here for now. But I want you to understand something before we, before we close. I want you to understand something here. There's something really deep here. There's something very significant here. This is an absolute total definition of who we are as people. An absolute, and perhaps for you and I, a redefinition of who we are as people. I mean, this, you can't get deeper than this. This is a total redefinition. In some ways, especially if you have been spending years building up one of these paltry little identities that the world is so glamored by, enamored by now, one of these little identities. If you have been spending your time building up one of these little identities, how many followers you have on Facebook, how popular you are, how much influence you have, how pretty you are, how rich you are, how, how, how good you are at your skill and your vocation. If you've been building up your identity on that, focusing on that, you have programmed yourself and your brain, and your heart, and your will, and your actions, and your thoughts when you wake up in the morning have been directed toward those little slug identities. And now you're being called to an identity above an archangel. And that's going to mean a deep work of God in your life to deeply reprogram us to understand who we actually are. This is why I spend so much time taking us carefully through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And so I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I'm going to ask you something very specific. I'm going to ask you to do something this week. I'm going to ask you to think. 
to meditate. That means think hard. Roll this thing over. Think often. When you're driving and when you're sitting and when, you're, when you've got a few moments where you can think, 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 and pray this identity in. And ask the Holy Spirit. Ask God to send his Holy Spirit and to sanctify you and to redefine you for yourself and to transform you and reform you until this identity takes over. It takes over all of you. And you start giving up these other identities, these other identities. And they can be, they can be good identities. When, when, when the disciple, you know, I could have an identity. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. That's my identity. I'm a pastor. That, 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 that's fine. I'm a pastor. But that, when, when, when they came back and, and they said to Jesus, we cast out demons. Jesus says, do not rejoice that you cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. My identity is not that I'm a pastor. My identity is that I am a child of the living God. I'm one of the saints. I'm one of the chosen. I'm one of the people who's been put in the plan. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. I am one of God's family. I, this is my identity. And this is, we need to pray this in. We need to pray this in. And we actually need to get rid of it at times. And I'm not saying there's no place for vocation. We're going to talk about this because Paul's going to talk to Parents, he's going to talk to married people, he's going to talk to parents, he's going to talk to masters, he's going to talk to slaves, he's going to talk to children. We have those other identities, but they should be paltry compared to this identity. And that's why Paul will say this in Galatians 3, 26 and 28. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's your identity. You're all sons of God, children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now look at the next verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Those mean nothing anymore, Paul says. There is neither slave nor free. That means nothing anymore. Don't get your identity from that. There is neither male nor female. That means nothing anymore. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Dear friends, what I'm asking is, is that you would ask the Holy Spirit to make this work so deep in your life that it will become instinctive. What do I mean by that? I mean, you don't have to keep reminding yourself. When something becomes instinctive, you just do it. You just do it. It's instinctive. It's so, it's so ingrained in you, you do it. That's why they say emergency people, they act just on their training. It just comes out. They don't even think about it. We need to be so sanctified that our identity as these true children of God should be instinctive. We don't say, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. I'm a child of God. Oh, man, I shouldn't have acted that way. I'm a child of God. Oh, man, I shouldn't have treated my life that way. I remember pastor said I was a child of God. That we need to get to the point that it's, it's instinctive. We need to get to a point that it's pervasive. All through our lives, there isn't these hidden pockets, these hidden pockets of darkness, these hidden pockets of the old man, these hidden pockets of some worldly identity. We need it to be pervasive, and we need it to be a source of joy in our lives and a source of reality for us so that we begin to live life, the conduct worthy of being a Christian. Is there any of you here who, at this point you're sitting here, you're an unbeliever, and you think, wow, my identity feels paltry right now. Oh, I'm popular. Oh, I'm an athlete. Oh, I'm cool. Oh, I'm this, I'm that. And it looks so paltry right now. I want to urge you, give it up. Give it up. It is paltry. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to save you and to make all of these truths real about you. I could be a child of you. 
I could be a child of God. I could be a saint. I could be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I can be in the family of God. I can be all of these things. Oh, Lord Jesus, please, please, I turn from my sin. I turn from the world. I turn from these things. And I turn to you. Please save me. And you know what will happen? You know what will happen? Jesus told it in a beautiful parable when the, when the prodigal son comes walking up to his dad. And he says, oh, dad, oh, dad, just make me a slave. And he said, no, no, get him a robe, get him a ring, put some new sandals on him. Let's have a celebration. And he planted a big kiss on this kid. And that's what Jesus will do for you right now. If you turn from the world, you repent of your sin, and you turn to him. And you say, I want this. Please, I believe in you. I trust in you. You will be, become a royal child of God forever. May God give you that grace. Let's pray together. Father, please, we pray, please come and sanctify us and form our identities and reprogram us and change us and do a deep, deep, pervasive work in our lives, we pray. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Help us to simply embrace what is true about us in Christ Jesus. Help us to live it out in our lives. Help it to form how we think about ourselves, even in our quietest moments. And help our lives, we pray. Help our walk to reflect what you have done for us and what you have made us. Help our walk this week be worthy. Help our conduct to be worthy of a child of the living God, the future master of the universe, judge of the world, citizen of heaven. Give us grace, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray.